Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty, Luke Johnson, and Dalton Stanford is back with us. We're at the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg this afternoon. And we're glad you're with us for another edition of Southern Miss Sports Talk on the Super Talk Radio Network. Patrick McGee will be joining us in just a moment from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Former offensive lineman Willie McDay will be on the program a little later as well talk about his time at Southern Miss. First segment sponsored by Dickey's Barbecue Pit, proud supporters of the Eagle Hour. We encourage you the next time you have a tailgate event, church event, home event, office get-together, sit back, relax, and let Dickey's do the cooking. They do a superb job of catering any event, large or small, and uh, they have custom-made catering menus that you can choose from. They'll even bring it, set it up, and serve it for you if that's your desire Dickie's Barbecue Pit here in Hattiesburg. All right, so we're going to go straight down to the Gulf Coast this afternoon, bring our buddy Patrick McGee on the phone. And, Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about y'all? Well, good. Got a lot of football to talk to you about. I hope you got a few minutes. Uh, uh, let's let's start with this Saturday night. I know that uh, in our past conversations, uh, before football ever started, you and I and Luke and Kelly – Talking about the first month of the season, I think we all pretty much predicted uh, to win the opener, to lose the second game, uh, probably to lose the the fourth game. And the third game was the real pivotal game. You still see it that way? Yeah, I mean, this is a game where we're going to have a much better judge of of what Southern Miss is going to be capable of this season. If they lose this one, they're just kind of, you know, it's going to be a – you know, even getting bowl eligible is going to be, you know, is relatively tough. I think they're going to play well in conference, but uh, this Troy game is huge. I mean, it just puts you one ahead in terms of maybe if you're looking, you may be looking at instead of six or seven wins, maybe an eight-win season uh, if you beat Troy. So uh, this is a big one without a doubt. It's a winnable game. Uh, uh, Troy is, you know, maybe still trying to figure things out. They've just got a, a one win over an FCS opponent under the belt. They didn't play last week, so uh, maybe Southern Miss is kind of hoping they come a little bit more sharp than what Troy is because uh, a team can change a lot from, say, week one to week three, and, and maybe Southern Miss is hoping they can kind of catch them off guard on the home field. Patrick, Troy is how much better than blank number of Conference USA schools that Southern Miss will play? Oh, well, I mean, uh, if you want to consider the last three to four years, I mean, I think Troy would have been playing for conference championships. Uh, pretty much every season they've been that good. Of course, they have a new head coach now, and uh, Neil Brown's at West Virginia, and, and Chip Lindsey is the new head coach, former Southern Miss offensive coordinator. So it's kind of hard to say right now at this moment how much better than they are than, uh, than a lot of teams in Conference USA. Uh, but I, you know, if, if if you want to look at this team going into this season, if you want to project them, uh, they would definitely be in the top third, if not one of the top two or three better uh, best teams in the conference. They've got a lot of guys back. Uh, from a team that won, what, 10 games last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy is a very good team. They've got a lot of experience, talent. 
uh, no real, you know, obvious weakness. Uh, it, still, you know, it, we're still kind of waiting to get a good read on this team, and, and we'll see how good they are against Southern Miss on Saturday. But uh, I would say Southern Miss would be – I mean, excuse me, Troy would be one of the best teams in the conference if not already have, a say, a conference trophy in their cabinet. Earlier this week we talked to their play-by-play guy, and he said that Troy fans in general – feel that uh, the conference they play in is a superior conference to Conference USA. Your, your opinion about that? Um, I, will, I will say that maybe Troy, uh, you know, whether it's App State or, or, or Troy or some of these other teams, as far as the best teams in the Sun Belt, I think those teams absolutely would have been right there with the best teams in Conference USA. I think Conference USA is a little bit deeper uh, in terms of overall talent and just having more quality teams. Uh, so, I, I mean, I would give Conference USA a little bit of an edge when it comes to an overall football conference. But in recent seasons, uh, the Sun Belt has really produced two to three very good teams. All right, Luke Johnson's back on the show today. Luke, uh, fire away at Patrick McGee. Patrick, I uh, don't want to relive Saturday too much. Um, we we have shot uh, the negatives. Uh, we, we've beat them down pretty good. So, uh, two positives uh, from Saturday uh, leaving Starkville and going over to Troy? Uh, well, I think it was, uh, I think pretty much all the positives are on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, uh, they ran the ball well. Uh, Kevin Perkins and I thought the Michael Harris making that uh, cameo or running back, we'll see how many touches he kind of gets there going forward. I mean, heck, if I'm, if I'm Southern Miss, I don't, I don't uh, put the Michael back at receiver. I leave him at running back, and I think there's a decent chance that happens. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the little mix of Perkins and Harris at running back it has to be promising. And the offensive line obviously played fairly well in front of them. In terms of the passing game, they didn't uh, block as well in uh, whenever uh, Jack dropped back to pass. But overall, I think there was a lot of uh, reason to be encouraged with the way they ran the ball. And I thought Jack looked solid. I, I thought Jack played well under the circumstances. Uh, he was as accurate as always. Uh, I really think that just little signs I saw at Jack, I think he's as long as he stays healthy going forward, I think Jack's got to have a chance to have somewhat of a, a breakout season uh, in terms of uh, statistically, and he just looks more at ease back there. It's he's not he doesn't feel like he's going to have somebody breathing down his neck on every snap. He's a little bit more comfortable. So uh, just just over there on offense, I think there's real real signs for progress. Couple offensive questions. Uh, first, what does the receiving core look like now? Uh, Jalen Adams is an elite player, at, not only in Conference USA. I think there's several Power Five programs he could also play at. Jordan Mitchell has become a, uh, a go-to uh, receiver. How does it mix up this week with Quez back there? It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I, you know, Quez didn't get as many snaps. He he was re- really running second string much of, of fall camp, uh, really behind Jordan and. And, and Jalen Adams. So I think, you know, they knew for a while he wasn't going to start the season. It'll be interesting to see how he responds. Uh, he may not get the start um, just because of the way the other receivers have played pretty well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you can only get better in the receiving core when you got a guy that was all-conference last season really uh, was, I thought, you know, probably the best receiver in the conference and one of all the group of five. He was that good. And the, the passing game was really built around him him getting in the end zone. He was always the best target and, uh, whenever they got around the end zone and for the big play. So I think what Quez does is he just adds that one more, uh, that that best target down the field. Uh, you know, Neil McLaurin had that long TD uh, reception, and then you had uh, Jordan Mitchell have one last week, as did Jalen Adams. So uh, Quez Watkins is a better deep threat, I think, than all three of those guys. I think Jalen Adams is, 
affect him a lot of different ways, whether it's in special teams around the line of scrimmage, even handing the ball off to him or just short passes uh, to him and making guys miss. Quez is more kind of the true blue receiver that can really go deep. So I think that's what he has is just one more deep threat to the passing game. So what I, I think uh, one more question, Bob. I think you know some Southern Miss fans again. Perkins was a nice uh, surprise the other day. Steven Anderson, you know, only only two carries. Is there something that we're missing, or I, we thought he would be featured a lot more? You know, I don't know. I've, I've kind of scratched my head on that as well. Uh, only two touches. I think he had hot. I think he had one nice carry. Uh, I think maybe his, his touches went down whenever DeMichael came out and ran the ball well, and just. Whenever I saw Perkins back in the spring, I was really impressed. I mean, he, he runs, you know, Steven Anderson's a former quarterback, still kind of adjusting to the position. Uh, Perkins really just runs more like a traditional running back and is going to be able to grind out those short yardage. I think they've just thought for a long time that Perkins eventually was going to be able to kind of step up and be the, if not the number one option, but 1A. I, I think they've just they've tried to stay away from hyping him up too much, but uh, it doesn't really surprise me that Perkins is going to be the uh, the number one guy going into this game, uh, just because I thought he was one of their two best running backs, he and Mosley, coming into the season. So uh, I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, I, I think Anderson's still got a good future at the position. He's just still got to learn how to run behind his pads and uh, run a little bit less upright. So. Uh, you know, it's still a it's still a good situation where I think you have four to you know four guys in the backfield that you can hand the ball off to, and they're all capable of maybe carrying the load for a, you know a quarter or, or a drive or whatever. So I think Perkins just kind of gives them the the best opportunity as a running back that kind of brings it all together and what they need at running back. All right, Patrick, we're got, we're up about thirty seconds from the break. I'm gonna ask you to hold on if you can through this three minute sure. break because I'd like to I'd like to get you to comment on the defensive play. Uh, so far, and then I'd also right. like to hear your input uh, about the Saints after their opening thriller uh, against Texas. <laughs> so we're going to continue with Patrick McGee on the other side of the break. Quick reminder: Eagle Hour will be for the first time ever at Boke Homa Casino tomorrow in Sandersville in the sports book uh, there at the casino. First of uh, four appearances that we have scheduled uh, in Sandersville. So we're really looking forward to that, and uh, hopefully we can get some good information on this uh, on this change in Mississippi where sports betting is now legal uh, and allowed at casinos throughout the country. More with Patrick McGee from the Biloxi Sun-Herald on the other side of the break. Stay with us. To the, top. to the top, you're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're with us this afternoon. We're talking to the professor, Patrick McGee, from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. 
Check them out on the internet. If you live in other parts of Mississippi, you can buy anything you want Southern Miss related, and they'll deliver it right to your front door. Next time you're in town, just stop by on Hardy Street and uh, say hello to our friends at Campus Bookmark. All right, Professor. Uh, one more USM question, then we're going to switch gears. A lot of talk all year, a lot on this show about the strength of this team was going to be the defense. What have you seen so far defensively from this team, and have we not yet seen the best of the defensive play from this football team? Uh, well, you know, it's, they obviously need better defensive play than what they've gotten, and I think that that will eventually be the case. Uh, I think the issue in the first game is it was kind of a mix of things. You know, Alcorn State's a talented FCS team, and they were able to move the ball here and there. Uh, you know, I guess you give up, they gave up some yards on the ground in the first game, so that may be a slight concern. Then you come in the second game, and it was really, you know, you expect Colin Hill to run as well as he did. There isn't much you can do about that guy. Uh, but the way that Mississippi State has success throwing the ball is a little bit concerned going forward. And I thought I didn't really talk about it, but I thought potentially an issue in that game would be uh, the size of State's receivers. And it wasn't just, you know, and that came into play, especially I think on that first touchdown pass. Uh, but it wasn't just that; it was just consistently the Southern Miss corners uh, got beat. I mean, they were just. Uh, they, I don't know if we gave them too much cushion, or they were just getting outmaneuvered. Um, like passes to the to the uh, to the sideline. I don't know. I mean, the secondary just had a rough go of it, and that's uh, Jay Hobson said as much on Monday. That was the one area where they really have to improve uh, coming into this week. So I think that's one area where Southern Miss really has to improve uh, just the play of its corners and overall in the secondary if they're going to win at Troy. That's that's going to be a big key to success. Right. All right. Superdome Monday night. Not a lot of defense, but lots of fireworks. I think you were in the dome, were you not, Patrick? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. I was there, sitting in the uh, uh, there on the fifty yard line, just uh, kind of taking in the game for once. I don't get to do that very much. And, wow, fifty uh, yard girl, line. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It were, we were lucky. Uh, uh, we got a, a good hookup on tickets, and we had great view. Uh, we we're, were good. able to go into the club and all that. It was a great game. If I if I was going to pick one Saints game no to go to and kind of watch as a spectator, that was a good one. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, there was, I mean, that that dome got down pretty good uh, whenever Houston went down and scored with about 36, 37 seconds to go. But you knew in the back of your head that uh, they probably gave Drew just a little bit too much mm-hmm. time to go down the field one time out. Right. But still, kicking a 58-yard field goal is, right. is far from a guarantee. And whenever that went through, that was – that was quite the scene there in the Superdome. Sensational quarterback play from both teams, right? Yeah, I was really impressed with the Deshaun Watson, the way he's kind of coming to his own as a passer and just a quarterback. I thought he was he was excellent uh, at the position. He, you know, he didn't have huge numbers, but the way he darted them down the field on that last drive for them was really, really impressive. And Drew started out a little bit rusty. That was a bad interception he threw early on in the game, but uh, really kind of, you know, uh, picked up you know he didn't play a lot in the preseason maybe he had to work some rust off so he really played well in the second half and i was encouraged overall by the play of the Saints offense uh, there in the second half in no way to rain on the saints parade because they have a fine football team but if you're a saints fan and i know it's early but you have to be a little concerned about the defense especially giving up a touchdown in the last 60 seconds on two plays when you know the opposition has to get the ball up the field I mean, I, I don't think so. – if you're a Saints fan, you're happy that you finally won a, a season opener. You hadn't done that in like five or six right. years. So uh, if you look back to the season opener the Saints had against the Buccaneers last last year, they got torched. I mean, it was, it was you know, it was like 
Alabama versus BMI last year with uh, Tampa and, and the Saints. And so uh, I think there was actually some reason to be encouraged by the pass rush. They were able to get to Watson a couple of times. Even Trey Hendrickson uh, got in there. But I think uh, those late touchdowns, I think it was the, the team just didn't have the right package on the field, uh, which was kind of mm-hmm. baffling. I mean, they didn't have anybody deep uh, right. <laughs> a time or two right. on the Texas right. last drive. So I think that's something that has to be corrected and will be corrected. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't. You know, if you're a Saints fan, yeah, you want to play a little bit better defensively. But I, I, I don't think there's really much to be concerned with. It, they can get better from week one to week two. Real test this weekend, right? Yeah, going to the Rams. Haven't mm. even. T- that's that's a huge one. I mean, this. I, I was watching the Patriots game, and they mentioned that the Patriots don't play a, a team who reached the playoffs last season until like week nine or something like that. And this year, the, the Saints are. Uh, hosting a, a talented Texans team, then having to go out and face the Rams, and then you got the Seahawks, and then you got the Cowboys. Mm. Uh, so those those Patriots guys, they never catch a break. So uh, what the Saints have got going <laughs> through these first few weeks are especially tough. Right. And, Luke, I, I just saw on the wire that the same officiating crew that did the championship game has been invited to Los Angeles to call the game Sunday. Well, they also they double. They they serve on the uh, scheduling committee for the NFL. Also, so it's in I'm order for them to about get full time benefits. Surely they wouldn't do that, yeah, right, Pat? They're not going to do that. No, right. I, I think I think what it is is the, the Rams bought the referees all condos right around the stadium, <laughs> just so they never have to. You know, they're they're, just, they're going to induct uh. them into the Rams Hall of Fame one day, and they just you know you just can't have them on not on hand when they're playing the Saints. Exciting time, though, to be a Saints fan, isn't it, guys? It has to be. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is the heyday of Saints football going back to 09 all the way up to 20. It's, it's been a fun run if you if you fall in the Saints as a, as a kid and watch them lose a bunch of football games. So for the Saints to be in this position consistently each year going in with a realistic chance to reach in a, a Super Bowl, it is a good time to be a Saints fan. All right, Luke, do you want, to, uh, do you want to bemoan some about the Saints before we let the professor go? No, I just I wanted to share something real quick. At the 09 Super Bowl parade, uh, we were standing out there at, at Lee Circle, and I can still say that, right? That's not politically incorrect for me to say Lee Circle. Anyway, um, and we were standing out there in front, and uh, this lady kept inching her way in front of us. She kept inching her way and inching her way. Finally, I was like, ma'am, you know, I've been standing out here for three hours, and the parade's about to start. You know, I kind of have my spot. And she said, please let me stand in front of you. I was at the first game in the 60s, and I've been a Saints fan for 50 years. I was like, you can take it. I'll stand behind you the rest of the parade. So she had seen a whole lot uh, more more uh, than me. Uh, Patrick, um, one Saints question and then one more Southern Miss question. Uh, Alvin Kamara might be the most complete back that we've seen in the last 10 years in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, one of those runs, I mean, well, it seems like there's one every game, but he must have the best lower body strength of any player I've ever seen uh, play football. I mean, his balance is just astonishing. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a huge game, but he was very good. Uh, he, he There's just one of those one or two moments every game where you just wonder how does he do it. I mean, he's just a, a freak of an athlete. And, I, I mean, he's, he's the key to this offense uh, going forward as much as everybody – uh, Hype, Drew Brees, and Michael Thomas. If they don't have Alvin Kamara, uh, this offense just isn't even close to what it, it, as good as it is right now. Going back uh, to, to Southern Miss, last question. Um, what do you think is going to be the right concoction of offensive line? What, what has, has you've seen, especially um, at left guard and right tackle? And do we have an update at all on Coker Wright's injury? No, uh, we'll, 
we'll just kind of have to keep an eye on Coker from here. Jay Hobson and company aren't commenting on injuries at all. Uh, but for Coker Wright to be on crutches at the end of the last game probably isn't a good sign. Uh, but, yeah, it's, I don't know what that makes it. I think they're kind of forced to uh, go with what they got. But, you, you know, it's Dorbeck, uh, probably maybe Pollard there at left guard, Clopton. Uh, you know, then you got Fletcher, either Fletcher or Pollard at either of the guards. Both those guys can play both guards. And then it's probably Hawthorne at right tackle. Uh, you know, I, it just remains to be seen. They've just had key injuries kind of pop up at line, on the offensive line, and guys maybe have kind of still kind of uh, working their way into this level. Tanner, Tanner Hawthorne started that first game, but he wasn't on the field much. Uh, maybe he was struggling a little bit. So I think that you have to be encouraged with the way the line plays, especially in the ground game last week, uh, but still much to be determined this Troy game. I think this, this game will be kind of key to telling us what that line's capable of. All right, Patrick, safe to say that if you get any more of those 50-yard line seats, the girlfriend's going to take precedent over any of us three on this show, correct? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Y'all have already been supplanted. Uh, y'all are not off my list anymore. I'm if sure. I, I, I completely and totally understand, Patrick. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, Patrick. Always enjoy our conversations. All right. Have a good one. Patrick McGee, everybody, from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Just a great guy and uh, appreciate everything that he's done for the program. Quick reminder, you can go to our Facebook page. We're going to give away four tickets to the UTEP game, four new Eagle Hour t-shirts to whoever predicts the uh, Troy Southern Miss score. Getting a whole array of scores. Uh, Here's some examples. USM 31, Troy 13. USM 21, Troy 20. Troy 24, USM 16. Troy 35, USM 21. Keep guessing. Keep sending us to us. And uh, we always look forward to giving away a, a lot of stuff. And, Luke, the T-shirts look fabulous, man. Uh, need to thank uh, the guys down in Summerall that did that for us. Uh, really did a great job. They sure did. Saw them uh, for the Alcorn game. Saw some uh, last week. And, yeah, people uh, just support the Eagle Hour. You know, rep the Eagle Hour uh, wherever you are. But uh, when we come back, going to have a, a great conversation with uh, Willie McDay. was on some of those early 1990 uh, football teams. We'll talk to Willie McDay right after this on the Eagle Hour. Miss to the top. We thank Patrick McGee from the Bluxy Sun Herald for joining us in those first two segments. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to us every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, just under the shadow of the rock. 895 lunch every day. Go by and see our friends at 4th Street Bar and Grill. Happy to have with us now uh, on the phone line, Willie McDay was an offensive lineman for Southern Miss from 1990 uh, to 1994. And uh, Willie, man, those were uh, some exciting years to be a Golden Eagle. How you doing today? Doing great. Thank you guys for having me on the show today. 
We uh, we appreciate you being on. Uh, Bob and I were just uh, reminiscing. It would have been your redshirt junior year, uh, and, and 1993 was was such a uh, a year that people thought would Southern Miss would explode on the scene nationally and, and take it to the other level. What do you remember about that kickoff Thursday night game when Johnny Majors brought the Pittsburgh Panthers to the Rock? It was a crazy time. I mean, everybody was excited and um, just couldn't pull the win out of. Everybody was excited to have him here, though. Um, you guys were telling me about the running back they had that year. I, I didn't remember him, but um, since you said who it was, it, you know, it made it even better, though. Curtis Martin, yeah, who went on to play for for the Patriots um, and 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 the Jets. You came in, I believe, you were a freshman in 1990, right, Willie? Yes, sir. I played with Bobby Hammond, Perry Carter, Chris Buckoff, Chris Buckoff. That was my uh, recruiting year, along with. Um, um, I can't remember his name. Um, There's a guy Pope. named Brett Favre that was on that 1990 team. Yes, sir. Of course, good. of course. I got a funny story to tell you about Brett. We was goofing off on the sideline, warming up before practice one day, and uh, that was the first time I heard a ball thrown. And uh, he was just throwing the ball around, and <laughs> I turned around and it was Brett throwing the ball. I was like. I think I better get away before I get an ear shot. <laughs> First time I've heard a ball being thrown. <laughs> People used to say that. Is that true, Willie? You could hear the ball coming through the air when he would let go of one. You really can. You, I, I didn't think you could, but after hearing and seeing Brett throw the ball, you really can. <laughs> <laughs> you played with some uh, incredible talent, did you not? Yes, sir, I really did. I really did. And most of the guys that I played with, um, they end up being coaches right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we really did have a great recruiting year. And and Luke and I were talking uh, before we went on the air. Uh, You guys were so deep at one time that uh, in 93, I think is when they said it, the the Eagles had two complete offensive lines, and and you all would rotate complete offensive lines throughout the football game. That, That right there had to be a huge advantage over a lot of opponents, I would think. It really did. When one guy went down, they just plugged another guy in. I mean, we rotated. Uh, it, it wasn't anything for a guy to go down and you just plug somebody in. Um, I can't recall a lot of the guys' player, the name, but uh, everybody was awesome. I mean, you, you couldn't tell the difference. One go down, you never missed a beat, to be honest, you know. Mm-hmm. And the you played for Curly Hallman and Jeff Bauer, is that correct? Yes, yes, sir. My first year was uh, with Curly, and uh, I was in the meeting when he came in. We kind of got wind of it, and he called a meeting that evening. I wanted to say it was a Sunday meeting, and everybody was dreading to go across the street. At the time, we were standing in Van Hall right across you know, from the field, and uh, we came over. He gave a heartwarming speech to all the guys, and uh, um, we didn't know who our coach was going to be at the time, you mm-hmm. know, but, you know, mm-hmm. we it was going to be Coach Bauer, but we really, you know, you know, missed Curly because he was a team player, you know, right. coach rather. Right. But um, you well, know, we hated to see him go. Well, that was my next question. For our listeners, compare the two. How, how was Curly Hallman different than Jeff Bauer, Willie? Well, to be honest, Curly was, you know, kind of a player coach. He was, you know, come in the dorm and play with us, you know, and, you know, just do the spread and jack around with us and, and a lot of people don't know this, but after every practice, he would pick a guy on the team to wrestle. You know, he didn't, you know, differentiate from a DB to a lineman. 
it didn't matter. You know, he picked a guy to wrestle, and that really kind of motivated the guys. And you could see some guys kind of stand behind other guys so he wouldn't call you out to wrestle him. I didn't wrestle him, but, you know, a lot of my friends did, you know, had to take the turn to wrestle him. So, it was, you know, he was a really a player coach. Could he wrestle? Know? Oh yeah, he was a he was a scrap, scrappy guy. I wouldn't I wouldn't fight him in behind a bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, I got to tell you this, Luke and I've had him on the show a couple of times uh, in recent months, actually. And uh, I got to tell you, well, he's like kind of like an old meek and mild grandfather now. It's just no it's, way. <laughs> it's stunning to hear. Am I right, Luke? <laughs> Yeah, he really is. He's he's really laid back. You know, I, I just couldn't imagine trying to wrestle Coach Bauer, man. I, I, we were afraid of him the first three years you were at in the program. But yeah, that's 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 good about that's good about Curly. Um, was the transition between between uh, he and Coach Bauer? I mean, it, we always ask guys this: was it was it awkward? Was it smooth? How did the guys take to it? It was it was kind of difficult at first because you you used to a raw raw kind of guy. And uh, Curly was that guy, you know, he will fight with you and all. But Coach Bauer ran it, you know, pretty much like an organization, not saying one was better than the other, but Coach Bauer was a, you know, he let pretty much the staff dictate everything. And Bauer ran it like we was in the NFL already, which Coach uh, Hallman ran it pretty much hands-on, per se. Now, early in Coach, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, early in Coach Bauer's tenure, is when the Golden Eagles went to Baton Rouge and beat LSU. W- were you on that team, Willie? I, I don't think – no, sir, I wasn't there when we went to LSU. I don't remember playing LSU okay. in my tenure. So. I got you. That, was, that must have been, what, like four or five years then into his tenure? It was 94-95. It was when Marshan Kenny was a true freshman, and that that's when it was. I got okay. you. So it would have been the year after, after, uh, after Willie graduated. Yes, sir. I always like to ask players this. Is there a moment in your college football career that really sticks in your mind when you're sitting in your recliner at night watching TV and, and relaxing and you think back on those years? Is there one moment that really jumps out at you? I really do. I think it was, I believe it was our 93 year when we played Auburn and uh, we went to, uh, to play Auburn there. And uh, we got a chance to speak with Coach Bowden. You know, his son, with Bobby Bowden, his son was a coach there. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just, you know, just talking to some of the guys. And before practice was over with, I think it was that Friday we landed. And before practice, the walkthrough and all was over with. Both teams pretty much was around Coach Bowden, listening to his, like, you know, war stories, per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just so fascinating. That, you know, he took, like, question and answer period. And, and he just really just told us how, you know, it was back in the day. And we asked him who was his favorite player to coach, I mean, you know, to coach during his tenure, and he was like a, a wrestler. I forgot his name, but it was a black guy. He was a wrestler, and he was like, he was, that was the most uh, skilled player that he ever coached, you know, mm-hmm. you know his tenure of coaching. Right. But uh, he was just, you know, interesting to listen to a guy of his, you know, oh, yeah, a legend. He was a legend. Yes, sir. Right, a legend. Uh, what led you to USM, Willie? Well, I got a scholarship to well, you know, a lot of t- schools at the time. But I was a, I was the, I think it was the next to the last of the last year of Proposition Forty Eight. And uh, USM, I'm so thankful USM took a chance with me to to bring me in to set out my first year and to uh, get back on the field and pursue my education. Right. 
And I got a little inside information, Luke, about this guest. I know that Willie now works for Fortune Hospital and their police staff, and he is a beloved figure at Forest General Hospital. <laughs> it starts with my wife, Willie, and, and and I understand she tells me that the ladies throughout the hospital just adore you. So congratulations on that, my man. Thank you. I got to pay you guys for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, by, by every account, uh, you, you know, I've just never heard anybody at the hospital say anything but glowing things about you. And, uh, well, thank you. Me they really I. do love you down there, man. And, uh, thank we, you, sir. I appreciate it. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and we appreciate all that you've done for Southern Miss football. Thank you, sir. It means a lot. Thank you, sir. All I right. appreciate you guys having me on. Willie McDay, everybody. And, and Luke, I, I, that's that's not a joke. He, they just absolutely love Willie. And Willie's a big guy. You know, his nickname is Big Willie, and there's a reason for that. He's a tower when you see him uh, walking down the hallways, but as you can see, kind of like a kind of like a gentle giant, wouldn't you think? I'm thankful for him because Lauren's back at the hospital now, and I know Willie uh, does his job, you know, extremely well. Right. People forget uh, the t- during the time he was there, the 1992 team was probably, I think, one of the most underrated. Uh, football teams in Southern Miss history. They were seven and four. They lost when Bama was eighth in the country. They lost by a touchdown. They lost by eight at Auburn, and they lost uh, by only four at Florida that year. They only had one, two, three, four home games. They went seven and four and were overlooked for two, six, and five teams for the Independence Bowl. But the 1992 Southern Miss team was extremely good. Real quick, give those scores. I read that this morning. Very, very impressive how they played against those three SEC schools. 17 to 10 at Bama, 16 to 8 at Auburn, and 24 to 20 at Florida. Mm. Yeah, and I think there was a I think there was a few bad calls in that Florida game as I recall, like late in the game yeah. a two-point conversion that and, they weren't given and yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you beat Virginia Tech, you beat Memphis, uh, you beat Louisiana Tech, you beat Tulane, Cincinnati, East Carolina. Uh that was a really good team. And Willie McDay, part of that team. We'll be right back everybody. segment of the Eagle Hour brought to us every day by Gulfport Home Center, located on Highway 49 in Gulfport, the largest inventory of new and used manufactured housing. Gulfport Home Center, more room for you, more room for your family. Golden Eagles uh, volleyball team drops a decision last night to uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, despite a record-breaking performance by Ashley Chapman, a senior volleyball player. They uh, head out to Georgia Southern this weekend, take on Winthrop, Georgia Southern, and UNC Asheville. Golden Eagles men's golf team uh, set some school records the past few days at the Hattiesburg Country Club for the Sam Hall Intercollegiate. They finished second overall, shot a two seventy two for the final round and a five fifty seven for the first two rounds. So uh, congratulations to uh, that second place 
finish. Bob, Luke, and Dalton from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. We would be uh, remiss if we did not uh, just talk about uh, what happened 18 years ago. This day, Bob, I was a freshman um, at Southern Miss. I had uh, woken up. Uh, I can't remember. I guess it was a Tuesday, I believe. It was either Tuesday or Thursday because of this this story. But I was on my computer, and I was on AOL Instant Messenger, and one of my friends uh, sent me a message said, turn on the television. And uh, I was a freshman at the time. My roommate, who was a tight end, freshman football player, uh, Ethan Whiteside, we turned on the television, and uh, we saw the second plane hit. And then we went to... Uh, our, our class, we, we, were, we were told they hadn't canceled school yet, so we went to our class. And in that class, there was a, a longtime professor, fine arts professor at Southern Miss. Uh, I think his name was Luigi Zaninelli, and we all called him Mr. Z. And in that class was uh, all my entire freshman football player teammates, John Eubanks, Dustin Allman, the Coley Twins, everybody uh, that came in that year. They were all in that class. Uh, we were in there together. And along with Leo Barnes, he had come back to, to get some some credits before graduation, and and uh, Mr. Z just just talked to us for about fifteen minutes, explained the situation, interpreted the situation, let us know. He told us to, uh, to go back to our dorms, to call our families, and uh, just to, to kind of handle the rest of the day. And it just it, it's so vivid, even eighteen years ago. Uh, but I spent you know those those first few hours of nine eleven with my Southern Miss teammates. We were all trying to figure out what was going on. No question. We all remember where we were that day. I don't know what they do in public schools now. Dalton may know. I, I don't. But they certainly, they certainly, I hope, are telling kids today about 9-11 and what happened. Do they, Dalton? Well, it's been a couple of years since I've been in uh, grade school or high school or anything like that. But I remember um, when we were in high school, they would have one of the members of the marching band. He would go out in the... Uh, in the center of the halls, and he would play taps. So they recognized so, him. Oh, they do. Well, good. Yeah. Well, good. You know, I have a lot of memories of it, too. I was at home getting dressed for work when the first plane hit. When the second plane hit, I remember sitting down and starting to watch what was going on. Mm-hmm. Then I remember them calling me from my radio station and telling me that the emergency broadcast system had just been put into play. Mm-hmm. We had never seen that. We had had tests. We, we just never knew what it would be like. Right. Uh, it was just an incredibly bizarre experience and a very sad day. You know, as I was telling you too, Luke, and, and this is an odd memory I have of 9-11, but I remember I was sitting in my backyard a few days after the attack at night, just sort of sitting there contemplating everything that was going on, and I saw an airliner overhead 30 35,000 feet you could see the lights blinking on the wingtips and it was so reassuring to see those aircraft back in the air because it had been what four or five days since any any aircraft in the United States was allowed to fly so I, I felt that sense of relief but sort of like we said earlier too if you watched it again this morning when they start reading the names every year of the victims uh it, you know if, if you're not if your heart doesn't get tugged, then there's something wrong with you. So I, I completely agree. It's something that none of us ever, ever, ever should forget. Sad day for sure. It, as a as a college freshman, you know, so much transition is going on in your life. And I was just looking back at our football schedule. You know, we played um, Oklahoma State on September 1st, and we didn't play again for three weeks. Uh, you know, everything was canceled and. It was just a it was a unique time. But one thing that I heard somebody say today that I thought was extremely good, 
you know, with all the, the partisan divide in our country, some of it's necessary uh, just from from a, from different stands. Some of a lot of it's not. But I, I thought this was extremely insightful today. If you truly remember September 11th, then live your life like you did on September the 12th. Right. So many things that that mattered to us, you know, when we woke up on the 11th, didn't matter to us on the 12th, and a lot of things uh, that didn't matter to us on the 11th mattered a whole lot to us on the 12th. So that's that I just would impose or just share that wisdom with our listeners. You know, if you really remember this day, because we're never supposed to forget, live your life like you woke up on September the 12th. I would also add that when you lay down tonight to uh, say a prayer for the families of 9-11, because it's been 18 years for all of us. It's like yesterday, I'm sure, uh, for all of them. And and there were 3,000-plus people that died, but countless thousands that were affected, and they, and they continue to die today from illnesses that they contracted from working in the aftermath of 9-11. So uh, God bless the United States. We'll be back tomorrow. Mississippi Media Production.